Welcome to the Kickstarter Journeys podcast brought to you by Fundamental Games. Each episode will provide you with some insight and opinions about successfully funded Kickstarter projects from the creators themselves. Here's your host, Wes Woodbury, ready to learn about another successful journey from the popular crowdfunding platform. Enjoy! Hello everybody and welcome to another Fundamental Games Kickstarter journey. Today we have JC Chuck representing the Fortado team and the game Chicken Heist that they put to Kickstarter last summer. Hey, JC, how are you doing today? Hey, Wes, thanks for having me. Great to have you. And you're from all the way on the other side of the world, actually. JC, um, originally from Canada, or at least you spent a lot of time in Canada. That's how I I saw your file here. But uh, uh, where are you located now? I'm located in Hong Kong, but I spent around 20 five six years of my life in uh, vancouver so pretty much um yeah full canadian almost yeah i was born in vancouver and i didn't even spend that much time there so there you go <laughs> nice. right on. well chicken heist is a push your luck card game for three to eight players it's a dynamic game where danger awaits you in every turn and the fortado team put together this game like i said last summer they had a funding goal of about eight thousand dollars u.s and raised over $11,000 for it. And this is a first-time creation for them, so it was great to see that they had some success there with 146% to their plan. So we'll get into some of the details of how they went about that. Uh, But first, JC, what I always like to talk to creators is, how did you discover Kickstarter, and what made you decide that that was a platform to kind of build a game and, and build your crowdfunding on? Yeah, so this answer might be a little underwhelming, but um, this was our uninformed opinion. We felt like a lot of um, big games out there were being funded on Kickstarter. There's like games like um, uh, there's a whole bunch like Exploding Kittens and stuff like that. Everything that was big and massive, it seemed like it was going on Kickstarter. We thought it'd be uh, that's going to be the the route where we were going to take as well. Yeah, no, and, and that's how I discovered it too. I didn't even know what Kickstarter was until. I even thought of making a board game and you do a little bit of research and you, it suddenly uncovers a secret world you didn't even know about. Yeah, I was, uh, we were also looking at uh, Indiegogo, but then I think that was a lot of, it wasn't, it didn't have as much of an emphasis or um, a big following on Kickstarter. Um, I know there's a couple of uh, Facebook groups out there that are dedicated to uh, Kickstarter and uh, for, for board games. So it seemed like there was a big audience for board game lovers on Kickstarter. And did you play many board games or card games before you decided to make your own game or did you kind of dive right in? Um, so I played a lot of, um, when I was a kid, I played Yu-Gi-Oh, but then um, I didn't really know <laughs> how, how everything worked and stuff and just kind of played for the, the artwork and, and yeah, the, basically for the artwork. And then yeah. later on, um, when I was in university, I played a lot of uh, Magic the Gathering with my friends. Uh, we spent around two, three years and a lot of money on that. I really liked uh, Magic, but it was too much of a time sink and a money sink as well. Um, so I started playing uh, board games afterwards. That's when we had more of a um, played with friends in friend gatherings where, you know, just like hang out, watch Netflix, stuff like that. But you always can pull out a board game and have fun doing that. So a lot of uh, the inspiration from me and my friends, uh, part of the Fortato team, um, we like the more social aspect of it because we yeah. wanted to play with people, want to talk with people. So there's a lot of um, 
player interactions is very easy to set up and learn. Um, that was the main focus for uh, Chicken Heist, yeah. Yeah, and when you were putting together this game, um, you had a fairly steep budget for a first-time creator of, like I said, around 8,000 US. So what did you use to establish that goal? Did you have a certain number of games that you're planning to create and needed to hit that goal, or was it because of the art, or what was your factors for cost? Yeah, the the cost, the main cost was of course the uh, manufacturing. Uh, we were uh, we are we are aiming to make uh, 2,500 uh, copies of the game, so um, most of that funding will go into the manufacturing, and also yeah. the artwork is is a big portion of that as well. So um, we made back a uh, 16,500 Canadian. But I don't think that's going to cover um, that doesn't cover uh, all of the costs just from manufacturing and the artwork. But that's something that we wanted to do. We wanted to push this game out, like regardless of how much we funded. So that's just something that we're going to eat and hopefully <laughs> break even at some point. But that, w- that was our dream and that's our goal. So. I think yeah, it's, well, what's 500 backers? That means you have another 2,000 games potentially to sell. So. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right on. And so when you um, do fund a project on Kickstarter, there's usually a preset expectation to make your product better through stretch goals. Um, and with you already running quite lean, how did you establish what stretch goals to do, and how did that impact your final production? So. Um, for our stretch goals, we we went overly creative with that because it was our first time. We didn't know um, how to do it exactly. So imagine if you had a product already and it funded and then you made a promise of a stretch goal that was maybe you had to do more, like more artwork, more uh, components in the future. We didn't know yeah. how to do that. We didn't know like the, the cost in which that's going to affect us. So the most easy way as a first time um, uh, designer is just to upgrade the, the the materials, just like upgrade the box, upgrade the cards. So it, it might sound a little boring, but that was um, a lot of our uh, stretch goals. We did have a couple stretch goals where we included new characters and new um, events. However, we didn't have those in our inventory. So if we did hit those uh, stretch goals, we would have to do the whole process again, where you have to test it and and do that. And, and that would be very uh, time consuming. Yeah, and you did end up um, funding your linen texture and your blue core. Uh, so that yeah. would have added cost to every card you make, but you didn't end up doing, going into those extra cards. So that saved you some time and money there. Um, yeah. Did you already kind of pre-plan to upgrade to Ivory and kind of built that into your budgeting or uh, we were hoping we were hoping for that um obviously you want to play with <laughs> nice cards so we were hoping to hit the hit the stretch uh stretch goals but yeah. um one of the issues that we had was uh if you notice on kickstarter on the chicken heist kickstarter we have a couple of tiers so um for the first tier you can just pay a dollar to support right. the project for the second tier, you can pay $8 to get part of the print and play, so on and so forth, all the way to $200. And the $200 pledge, you are going to get the copy of the game. You're going to get the copy of the Kickstarter exclusive, which is the prototype that we were using to um, build up the game. And you're going to get a T-shirt, a neoprene mat, 
and also you get to create a character. So I was speaking about how we didn't have any new characters in our inventory. We had around 11 people who pledged for uh, the $200 um, tier. So that took a lot of time, actually. As you can imagine, we reached out to these backers. Um, we sent them a questionnaire to mm -hmm. ask them for suggestions. And also, like, basically, we it's kind of like a personality assessment kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I actually made, made one. And then based on how they answered it, we determined the, the color of the chicken, which if you played the game, it's, it's very important because it determines which crew uh, member you are a part of, which crew you're a part of as a chicken. Like and a also, chicken gang. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because uh, every chicken is part of a crew, like whether you're guarding the perimeter, guarding the, the vault, uh, in the vault um, with the hostages or gathering intel, like you're part of a team. And and based off of your color, you can be caught by the police or you can or uh, different things can happen. Yeah. So based off of this assessment, we determined um, the color they they were and also the ability that suits them best. After we gathered that information and their suggestion, then we had to go back to our artist to tell them, hey, uh, we need you to create these new characters for us. Um, <laughs> not only that, we had to spend uh, two, three weeks to actually test it and see if it breaks the game or not. So yeah. as you can imagine, that took a long, long time. It actually pushed back our manufacturing. And as a, as a forewarning for people who want to do this, um, have uh, a bit more more of a planning uh, have better planning than than we did than we did yeah, um, like i've seen uh, i've seen a lot of people do custom cards just for images but what you're saying is that your custom cards may have even had abilities that were based on their personality and that's something i hadn't seen so that's pretty neat but also like you said time consuming to test that out yeah so we actually had to to, to spend like two three weeks on it and, and we had a, all our stuff ready for manufacturing by uh, November, but because of this, everything had to push back. And then we also went back to revise it. And because we spent so much time on the new products, uh, the, the new cards, uh, we, we left over some, some things at the back. Like maybe there were some, uh, some sentences that we didn't like and we had to go back it. So it all pushed the timeline way back. So for, for the people who are planning to do something like this, just have it better planned out. I think would be my I would I would definitely agree with you there now and I was actually going to talk to you about timing because in your Kickstarter itself and this is one of the things that new creators um, sometimes struggle with is it showed that the delivery was September 2019 when the game was launched in the summer of 2019 so how did you manage that timeline and did you have like you said you had to push it back for different reasons yeah, we had a couple of copies. We had a very small inventory that we could um, send it over to uh, uh, people in, in September. Yeah. However, uh, the main bulk of the production should have been on February. So we actually made a mistake uh, where we put like, um, it, it was like a miscalculation. So we, we accidentally had it on September when it was should have been in February but if it funded in September we had like around like 10 copies we could send out oh but I it, see so when, when I'm looking at it now you actually did create new pledges with the February dates so probably as a yes. correction 
Yes, yes. So yeah, you could see that was like a huge panic for us. Yes. <laughs> we launched. We're like, are you sure you can uh, deliver the product uh, on September? Like what September? And we had to scramble uh, yeah. to get that sorted out. So that one of the scary things about Kickstarter is that once somebody, a single person, has backed a pledge level, you can't cancel it, even though you have a legitimate reason to do it. So that's a, a tough way that you got to kind of explain that to Kickstarter or to tell your audience. Yeah, exactly. And you don't want to anger them too, because they they spent their time and money to invest and support in your game. Um, so you need to be transparent with them. Oh, that's a good learning. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, when it comes to advertising and marketing, I mean, some people do it free, some people do it paid. Uh, in your game, you had, I believe, let me just look here, four major videos. One of the big ones was Tantrum. And then uh, there's an up-and-comer, at least they were last year, but they're becoming more and more popular, Quackalope and Down the Vent. So um, did you have to invest a lot of money to, to pay for some of these videos, or did you have relationships with some of these creators? Uh no, um, so Tantrum House, we had to pay for the preview. Um, however, for uh, Quackalope uh, and Down the Vent, they were really awesome. They, they did it for us for free. So all we had to do was um, send them the, the copy through, um, yeah, just through shipping. But yeah, that's really awesome. Yeah. We didn't have to pay anything um, for them. And, and I think the quality um, was really good for both of them. And especially Jesse. Jesse spends, uh, Jesse of Quackalope. Um, spends yeah, like yeah. tons of times with the production value and looks amazing. Um, the cards and, and stuff. If you watch the other videos that he does, like everything he does is so um, calculated. The way he speaks, I, I think. It, I think what he does is awesome. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I mean, I've watched a few of his, of his videos recently, and that's why I'm. He does charge for videos now, and that's why I plan to invest in him with my next Kickstarter. Is just. The, the photography is bar none the best I've seen when it comes to board game previews. Um, I and then there's a lot of great things to say about games too. So Yeah, I couldn't believe how crazy it is because I, I haven't heard of uh, Jesse before. And then he reached out for me to because he was interested in the game. I guess it's because it's chickens and he's uh, he likes ducks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like that a little bit, yeah. <laughs> just a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, he really wanted to, to do the game and I, I was blown away with the, the result, and I think it's awesome. But in terms of the marketing, the, the thing we did spend on was was Tantrum House for the preview and um, also our Kickstarter video by Ori Kagan. And I thought uh, the Kickstarter video is really, really good, too. Yeah, and some people try to make their own. Some people go high production. Um, do you think without the video you would have performed as well, or do you think that made a huge difference for you? Oh, I think that made a huge difference. I don't have the analytics to back up my statement, but people who've watched the video tell me that they love the video. Maybe it's because it's my friends, but uh, I think it really draws people in because it does give them intrigue. And when uh, me and my teammates were discussing about how I want to go about the, the script of it, we uh, wanted to yeah, give some intrigue, make it more dynamic, not just like, a, oh, how it plays, how it works. It was more story based, just like how our game initially uh, for the brainstorming, everything was story based. Everything was um, storytelling. Uh, we really wanted to emphasize on that. And I think it, it really paid off. Yeah, I mean, it looks great on the Kickstarter page. I've watched the video and it uh, definitely pulls you in to watch the whole thing. And if you can get somebody to watch the whole video then you have a better chance of them actually reading your campaign page. So uh, really neat there. And what I liked about your 
Kickstarter as I, I went through is that you have some interesting color choices and packaging choices, uh, one of which looks like kind of like a Nintendo case or a, a video game case. Was that kind of intentional as well to attract intention or is that just by accident? Uh, <laughs> so there's going to be an underwhelming answer as well. Uh, so we were just playing around with the, the cover page and one of our uh, team members, Newton, was uh, uh, suggested putting it, putting the, the little stripe in the corner to, to resemble uh, like a Nintendo game. And we yeah. did that and it was like a joke. And then we laughed. We're like, hey, this is actually pretty good. <laughs> Let's stick with yeah, it. So, because well, it frames the art in its own space, and then you can clearly see on the left-hand side the player count, the time, and it does look like a, a Nintendo DS case or something like that. And so, it just kind of <laughs> automatically made me think that it w- was uh, better produced than not having that stripe. It's weird how the mind works. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. But there was no like pre-planning uh, in terms of making it similar to to something like that. It just so happened that way. Yeah. All right. And as you run a campaign, I mean, as, as a first time creator, if you didn't have a lot of familiarity with Kickstarter, you probably discovered quickly how important um, comments and updates are. So what was your experience interacting with backers and responding to their questions throughout the campaign? Yeah, we, we knew it was very important to have someone to always respond to our backers. We don't want to irritate them. We want them to know that we're on top of things. So we had a, a team member that was dedicated to um, Kickstarter. So all the updates, all the comments were um, were one person doing it. Okay. Um, so that was going on. Um, one of the issues we ran into from the comments were about the shipping so for the the prices that we used for for shipping was provided by Flowship uh, fulfillment company. So during yeah. the the checkout, backers will have to pay for shipping as well. So they pay for the game, they pay for the shipping, and it didn't jive for some of the backers because it it, it kind of appeared that we were being dishonest with the with the pricing with hidden costs. But that was like not the at- intention because of different locations, um, shipping costs would be different for uh, other people. So we thought that. We wanted a fair way for people to pay um, without overpaying or without underpaying with a a set flat rate. However, yeah. what um, happened? What happened was uh, we we got complaints because of the the shipping. So I think if we were to do it again, maybe having a flat rate and having people understand the expectations, um, the shipping expectations, would be a lot better than than to have different costs for people because even though it makes it it actually makes it easier for us to have a flat rate but we want it to be fair but i I guess people wanted it to be simple and transparent rather than to have hidden costs yeah it kind of swings both ways in the different groups that i've i've seen chat about it some people like to see it up front some people see it built into the cost other people like it after the fact so that it is based on location um, I think part of yours might have been that you had almost um, a fifth or 17% of your backers were first-time Kickstarter backers, which means they have no idea how shipping works, and they might have just assumed it was free. So that could have been a, a tough part there. But I'm just trying to balance everybody's comments. I think you did the best thing you could do and just respond to them when they ask those questions. And that transparency that you talk about uh, is very, very important. Yeah, I went back with the the updates. We wanted to make sure everyone got um, lots of updates. And, and initially, it was a lot about uh, the shipping and also about like the milestones, the stretch goals that we had. So one yeah. of the 
uh, about our campaign was it was kind of after the campaign. So after the campaign, we kind of stopped having regular um, updates. We I guess we you know we we forgot about it. Not not really forgot about it, but we assumed that everyone assumes that we are are going about with the progress of the the game. However, yeah. um, doesn't seem like the case. So people like to be like us to be transparent, like tell them what we're doing. So um, the events we're going to, the the marketing that we're going into, the the production, where is it at the the timeline and things like that. I think if I were to do it again, it would be to have more constant updates even after the Kickstarter campaign is over. Um, but we kind of course corrected and now updates are released every two weeks to let people know um, the, the whole process. Yeah, it's a, it's a good thing to do to keep in touch. And that way, should you make another game, um, then you've kind of built up that trust that there's communication and they know that you didn't just kind of take their money and run. Not that that's ever the intent, but um, <laughs> some people are very suspicious when they don't hear something for a few months. There's actually a, another person I've talked to from Weird Giraffe Games. It was Carla. And she does yeah. a neat thing where she will just update her cover image um, every time something changes in the status. So you'll see if you go back and look at some of her campaigns, whether it's uh, uh, Big Easy Busking or um, Fire in the Library, it shows a whole bunch of icons and it shows whether it's in uh, production or being put on a boat or if it's being fulfilled. And I thought that was a really neat concept, which I haven't done yet, but uh, I really love how... All, all somebody has to do is go and click on the Kickstarter page and they know exactly what state that game is after the Kickstarter. So uh, that's that a learning for me. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I, I might uh, try to do that too. That's, that's good. Yeah. It reminds me also of uh, Jamie Stegmeier's website because he's got little charts of where, what stages his games are at in terms of um, marketing and such. So really neat how a chart can say a thousand words. Yeah. All right. Well, what else do we have here? Um, speaking of projects in the future, is Fortado Games got other games coming out that you are kind of planning on, or was this a one-shot attempt to just get one game out there? Uh, no. Um, so we we are planning to to start uh, a new game, whether that be an expansion or a spinoff. Uh, we're not sure, but um, right now. We actually wanted to start it a while back, but then because of the COVID-19 and uh, the whole uh, quarantine situation, it's a little difficult for people to to meet up and to, to test. And how we tested before was we, we had a very lean method where we would just write on post-it notes, um, stick it on the wall. We'll have we'll make cards on the fly. We'll make rules on the fly. Anything we don't like, we just discard it and and forget it. Because some sometimes what I find is um, designers get stuck on an issue and they kind of get paralyzed by it because they don't want to dump things away and they don't want to yeah. add things on top of it. So they're really like, yeah, they're really stuck. They don't know what to do. It's like a puzzle that can't be solved. But for us, what we did was we we dumped the puzzle <laughs> and then we started another one. Um, and if that puzzle looks a lot better, then we'll continue with with, with those things. So there's a lot of quick iterations, quick um, rapid uh, prototyping that we were doing to make things a little more efficient um, in terms of uh, yeah making something that has promise. 
because you know I, I've spent time by myself just creating games, but there always seems to be little kinks that doesn't really that can't have a solution, whether like it's a fundamental flaw or, or not. Um, yeah, and it gets stuck in, and it just becomes like a waste of time. So we're going to find out if Tabletop Simulator um, is quick enough for for an efficient way of testing games and see where we're going to go about it. Because our goal in making board games was, one, uh, we wanted to publish something, we wanted to accomplish something, and two, yeah. not only that, we wanted to, to make a company as well. And this is not because we want to make money, because... Uh, Making money will be difficult in this in this board game space. It, it's more so for our creativity and for our passion and the amount of work we put into every single thing, like even as small as flavor text. We spent so much time arguing back and forth. <laughs> it's, it's a fun part of a game. You don't realize how much time it takes to come up with something clever and funny and, and fitting on any given card. <laughs> Exactly. Everyone has their own idea, and and there's so there's a lot of like butting heads, but I think it's all for the best because I think the product we we came out with is is the best that it could be. But what I want people to know is is that like the passion that we had, we spent so many hours and so many days just talking about like the the most minute, the minuscule things, and because it because it's important to us. And, and we hope that people will, will get that when, when they're playing a game. Like people read the flavor text, they laugh and stuff. And that brings me a lot of joy knowing that we spent so much time on it. Uh, and, and I'm really glad that it worked out the way it did. Yeah. And at first glance, like a, a party game that's featuring chickens, you, you might think, oh, they probably just thought of that in 10 minutes. Like you don't really think how much time goes into these. But if, if somebody's designed a good game, it means that they've spent a, a good portion of a year or more just putting their hearts into it. So it's cool to hear that, that you talk about it in that way, even though it does look like just such a lighthearted game on the surface to know that yeah. we spent that behind the scenes. And, and uh, we tell people that we spent um, we spent a year. So we started um, developing the game in August, and then we put it up on Kickstarter in July. This is not because the game is easy. This is because we limit ourselves to the timeline. We want to do something quick. Uh, we want to be efficient. And uh, we set a lot of deadlines for ourselves. So instead of pushing the deadlines back, what we ended up doing was having more meetings, having longer meetings. Um, we There were times when I, I remember there was a Sunday, um, uh, the Fortero team came to my house at seven in the morning and we were brainstorming um, like things like it's crazy the, the amount of work we, we spent on it. So. So, yeah. Yeah, and you had mentioned that, um, again, you originally you were with your team and then when you moved back to or you moved to Hong Kong, now you're kind of designing remotely. So how do you manage that trying to work with a team of people that you know and trust, but now you're not even able to work alongside them? Um, one of the things was we when we first began developing, we had a set of ideas uh, or rules that we wanted to set. So let's say something as simple as uh, it needs to have an uh, easy setup time. Uh, it needs to have a lot of social interactions. It needs to be um, it needs to be fun and silly. Um, so these are like the philosophy that we had when designing this game. So everything had to kind of stick to it. So yeah. knowing this, um, all the ideas have to go through one of the principles. 
I don't remember the all of it, but it has to be relating it to risk and reward has to be related to like a sense of panic and 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 excitement uh there should be uncertainty like things like that uh, everything has to bypass this filter so being being having that said um all the decisions made goes through that filter and me being abroad uh, in in uh Hong Kong I can there's a lot of times where I'm not part of the team in for the testing but it's okay because I don't mind letting my hands off the wheel uh, and letting them do it because they probably have a good idea of how the game should work. Yeah. So I, I did have to take a back seat, unfortunately. Life life is what it is, right? So you just got to shift and adapt. And um, I'm sure the parts that you do dip your fingers into make a difference on the game just as much as the play testers do. Yeah. Now, one, one thing you did offer in your game was a print and play and a tabletop simulator. So how much do you feel those two things impacted the development of the game and the support that was given in your campaign once you launched? I think the thing that it impacted most was the having a timeline. We wanted the print and play to be pushed out in May and we wanted like a, a closed beta where people can sign up for 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 the game and and print and play and test it for us. Uh, one, because um, why we wanted to do that was one, because we wanted to get an audience. And that was very important for us because we were a first time um, company, uh, first time game. We didn't have any audience. We didn't have any fans. We didn't have any anything. We, so we knew crowd building was very important. Yeah. So building the, the print and play, honestly, it didn't have too much an effect in terms of grabbing people, grabbing people's attention. We did have some people to send us back uh, reviews or critiques of what they thought. So that was really helpful. And at the same time, we knew that there would be hardcore people that were interested in in investing their time, uh, learning about us and, and things like that. So um, in the grand scheme of things, print and plays and tabletop simulators aren't that massive but we wanted to do anything that we can to market ourselves and get people behind us like i mentioned uh, crowd building is is probably the most important thing um for us to be successful uh let me see yeah and there was um a couple of articles that i'd read recently about the how the kickstarter algorithm works and it really is based on that first day makes such a difference in terms of how Kickstarter itself kind of automatically advertises your game and sends it as in higher rankings in people's views on their website. So if you can get that crowd early on, it has longevity in how it does throughout the campaign as well. Yeah, sorry for my delay. I, I was going through my notes a bit because <laughs> I, I wrote a bit about, about this. So, um, yeah. Crowd building being super uh, important. So the the couple things that we did was we really focused on the social media. We had two. We have two Instagram pages. We have two of everything basically. We have uh, the company website, a uh, company of uh, being Fortato, and also we have Chicken Heist. For our Instagram page, we have like 3,000 followers on Chicken Heist, 2,000 on Fortato. On Twitter, we have 1,000 plus followers. We have a Facebook page. I didn't check the numbers there. We have Pinterest. We have LinkedIn. Uh, anything you can find, we are on there. 
we're on medium.com as well. Um, so everything, we're just blasting our content. Um, we were trying to improve our SEO to have all these accounts available. So if people were to search up Chicken Heist, um, one of our stuff would pop up. And in terms that's, of um, uh, broad strokes, I mean, it's tough for everybody to go to all those different channels. Is there one that you found was most beneficial to you or that you seem to gain the most questions and interest from? Um, that's a good question. That's a good question. I find that Twitter gets the most amount of clicks. Um, I'm not sure how the conversion and, and stuff work. Uh, Instagram, we get comments and we get like the most followers there because uh, our game is very artsy, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, very uh, eye-catching. But to answer your question, I don't know, but I think it's a it's a combination of all of the different platforms. Yeah, the, having the ability to kind of cross every platform in that way, you, you dipped enough into all of them that you built up a crowd that way. Some people really focus on one or the other or just a, a few select ones and uh, it's cool to see that you could branch out into all of them, and uh, that kind of helped with your funding as well. Yeah, and um, another thing was that we wanted to reach out to to different conventions. So we went to Terminal City uh, Tabletop Convention. Uh, we wanted to do more, but um, based on the timeline, we, we didn't have a chance to. So we had an email sign-up sheet for people who are interested in the game and want to learn more about us. So demoing the game in person kind of gave us a chance to uh, not only to to show people how the game works, but also to connect with them at a more personal level yeah yeah well, it looked like it worked well for you so yeah i think uh, for our emails we gathered around 550 emails that's from um our launch page from our conventions and also from our choose your own adventure story um so five out of 550 emails 11 and 6 percent of people actually clicked onto the email um, promoting our Kickstarter campaign. Yes. You, you can, yeah, I, I don't know how many actually converted, but that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, for 10% is probably a pretty fair number. of your, If you want to get 500 backers, you probably need 5,000 emails, unless you have another way that you're getting them. I mean, that, it's a tough, num- tough pill to swallow, that 10%, but it's pretty true. Um, mm-hmm. So it's nice to Nice to hear some truths behind it there, too, behind your numbers, because if 11% went to your site, chances are quite a few of them backed it as well, since you have a fairly low price game. I think it was just the shipping that was a bit expensive, like you said. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure why we had so many backers. <laughs> now, now, considering all things like we we didn't have too much um, uh, funding that went towards the the marketing so I'm actually kind of surprised the con, uh, conversion rate for the followers and people who converted on Kickstarter was 21%, which is really high as well. Yeah. So I feel like our conversion is pretty high. Excellent. Well, I think that's all the questions I have for you today. Is there anything that you, what would you say is the, the I guess the biggest error in kind of cost judgment or what puts you back the most that you think somebody could learn from your journey? I think it would go back to the the tier list where we had the $200 um, uh, tier, yep. where we had to create a new character for people. Just pushing the timeline back is is probably the most detrimental. We also, um, even that being $200, uh, we we it, it ate into a lot of the cost 
that it took to create the character. So kind of didn't get anything back. But if I were to do it again, it's just to plan it a little better. But I like doing these things for the backers, and it's it's nice, nice to build that connection. Yeah, it creates that personalization, customization that you can't get when you go and buy a game at a retail store. So you you have somebody that's really enjoyed your game, even if it is only ten people, they'll share that story. And should you make another game, um, you're guaranteed to have them following you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we plan to if we do do an expansion, we ask them if it's okay to use their character for for it. For the new game. So that might yeah. be pretty interesting. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, JC. I, I hope that your Kickstarter journey with Chicken Heist and our discussion about it can help inspire and educate some other creators out there. Maybe they're making their first project and just wanted to learn something more. I'm sure they can grab a tidbit out of here. So appreciate you spending some time with me. Yeah, thanks, Wes. Um, if people who are interested in our Kickstarter journey, who wants to... Uh, look at the details a little more. We have two articles that are dedicated to our Kickstarter experience on um, www.fortato.com that kind of highlights the preparation that, that we did and also the results of the campaign. So for those who are more interested in the data details, um, feel free to check that out. Yeah, that's excellent. I'll make sure I include a link to that to your website in my show notes there. And um, I'll also include a link to your specific Kickstarter in case people want to kind of read along as they're listening or at least see what that cool Nintendo box style art looks like. Uh, and yeah. are you accepting uh, late purchases? I know it hasn't quite gone out to backers yet, but uh, what form are you going to be selling your extra 2000 copies on? Um, right now we're probably going to, uh, so we do have late pledges um, on our pledge manager um, okay. on, on chickenheist.com. Um the other 2,000, we're going to probably put it on uh, Amazon. We want to have a lot of, uh, we want everything to be done online. Yeah. We are talking to just... a couple of um, uh, distributors right now, but that's still in the works. Right on. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And for those of you that are listening to this podcast, if there's one thing you can do to encourage and motivate other Kickstarter journeys, just take a minute and a dollar or two, support a project that catches your eye today. We might not be able to buy all the cool things we see, but that little bit can help pad their bottom line and keep their project moving in the right direction. And feel free to subscribe or follow. We'll have some other Kickstarter journeys in the future, and I hope some great guests will share those stories with you. So thanks again, JC, and have a great night. Thanks so much for your time, Wes. Thank you. Yeah, no problem.